Go Loud. Podcasts, radio and music to your ears. I'm Brian Kennedy. And I'm Catherine Lynch. And this is our podcast, Around the World in 80 Gays. Now, each week we chat to well-known and much-loved members of the LGBTQI plus community and ask them about their gay icons, anthems, inspirations and more. And while we're working on making season two for you, we're re-releasing some of our favourites from season one, including this chat with Colm O'Gorman. Now, the subject matter of this episode is heavy as Colm shared his story of his abuse and rape by an Irish priest when he was a child. Colin was so open and eloquent and we are so grateful to him for talking to us. We are, but there is also joy in this episode and to find out more, well, you'll just have to listen. Before we let you go, make sure you're listening and following indeed Catherine Lynchow Official and me, Brian Singing Kennedy, on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram for the latest news and launch date of, for Series 2 of Around, Around the, the World, World in, in 80 Gays. Oh, wow, we're off. <laughs> And I had had no contact with my family at all for about six or seven months. And my older sister, Barbara, who's one of my closest friends, came and found me. And she was in college out of Maynooth. And I went out to see her that night and stayed with her that night. And we had a big conversation. And I yeah. told her that I was gay. And then I told her that something had happened with Sean Fortune. And I remember the next day leaving the house and thinking, oh, my God, what am I after saying? And being terrified again. Terr- so I ran again. But she subsequently told my brother, I'm one of six, but told my brother who's the next to her. And they both told my dad. Now, I didn't know this. Yeah. And I ran. Yeah. I was so terrified of the fact that I told them, told her or told anybody that I just ran and I didn't go back for another four years. Around the world. Around the world. In 80 gays. In 80 gays. Around the world. Around the world. In 80 gays. In 80 gays. Heroes of our bygone days who fought for freedom and equality. Icons, anthems coming out. Pronouns, drag queens, struggles, life and love Around the world Around the world In 80 gays Around the world Around the world In 80 gays Well, now this week we are tumbling around the room with delight as our guest is none other than Colm O'Gorman. Now, I'm particularly excited about this next guest. Colm is the founder and former director of One in Four, as well as a food columnist with the Irish Examiner. We secretly hoped he might have whipped us up a quick pavlova for us to snack on while we chat. (laughs) But your look, sure he's a busy man. (laughs) He is indeed. Ladies and gentlemen, gentle gaze, welcome to the podcast, Colm O'Gorman. Colm, you're welcome. Thanks a million, Brian. Thanks, Kathleen. Pavlova, we'll have to do the pavlova next time. I'll do the pride Pavlova, how about that one? Have you seen that one? That's amazing. Oh, oh can you do a stripy one? Yeah, wow. well, I I do it each year. I've been doing it for the last couple of years now, and actually, you just use. Oh, it sounds very boring now. I'm Lovely colours, no. No, use fresh fruit to do it. So oh, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of um, highly dyed foods. Colm, I don't have a sweet tooth. I know that we're we're yeah. still getting to know each other after all these years. But if you were really going to get to the centre of me, the heart of me, yeah. it would have to be something savoury. Savory is just as so you know. Fine. People I can, listening, I can do savory, but I also, know you can. I was working on a cheesecake recipe over the weekend that I think actually you might like, and it's because it's got uh, cottage cheese and cream cheese in it. It has that kind of savory vibe to it, and it's a lemon meringue cheesecake. Okay. Oh, that sounds gorgeous! I was raised on cheesecake. Were you really? You grew up with golden girls. Yeah, my mother loved making cheesecakes. Do you remember that there was a big fad in the eighties? Uh, my mum too, and, yeah. and that's what made me go back to make this one because she always used to use a mixture of cottage cheese and cream cheese in the cheesecake, and she did this one that was an orange 
cheesecake yeah. with zest and juice in it and it was gorgeous. So that was kind of what I had to go back and try and I can't reinvent really Yeah, my weekend. mother used to do that Shall with... Uh, oh, here we you go. could if I fed it to He's going to start go talking about the Falls Road quick. <laughs> ask you a question. <laughs> Colin, we, on this uh, podcast, we ask about people's coming out story, their anthems and their icons. But if you, could you tell us about your coming out story if you're comfortable with it? And we also have a new phrase these days, which I love. Is they're let, some people say coming out, lots of other people say you're letting in story. When you finally yeah, let yeah. people into your real life. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a lovely way to put it. Mm. Well, I mean, I grew up in an Ireland of the 1970s and 80s. So, yeah. I mean, coming out was not a concept that we understood really mm-hmm. at the time. I mean, um, so I suppose my coming out story as such would be more around a finding community story. Yeah. So it would be the first time I went into the uh, into the National Gay Federation building, which used to be at the back of the Central Bank in Founsa Street. Yeah. And walked in there to Flickers, which was the disco that ran on uh, uh, Fridays, Saturdays, Sundays and Wednesdays. And I used to go every single night once I discovered it. But I remember like I was 17, not quite 18, um, had had fled Wexford and come up to Dublin, literally fled Wexford and come up to Dublin, yeah. had spent some time on the streets in Dublin first and then had started to find my feet a bit. You were homeless for a I while. Was, I was homeless yeah. on and off for about six months. Now look, for the first do you mind if we here. rewind a little bit? Because sure. that all sounds very normal and wonderful. And, you know, it's a normal enough story, but actually your story is extraordinary. Um, and I'm referring to the book, of course, Beyond Belief, that I read. This is how Catherine and I met Colm O'Gorman. It's because I went to Anna McCarrig that we love. I brought this book that I'd heard about called Beyond Belief. I'd seen you on TV a wee bit and, and on the... But I was not prepared for the avalanche of, of grief that I felt when I read your story. And in fact, it was one of the only books that actually made me cry more than once. And it was that I prompted myself then to write you a letter, if you might remember. Yeah. Um, and it went, I think you were one in four at that time. You were working there, I think. It eventually ended up on your desk anyway. And I just had to write to you and say, oh, my God, you're the epitome of a survivor in terms of clerical abuse. Um, you talk very candidly about being raped as a very young boy yeah. by a person in the clergy of a very high uh, you know, position. Could you, can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. I mean, um, yeah, where to start with that one? Yeah. Well, start uh, at the beginning. Yeah, You're a I mean, boy. I mean, so I, I, I grew up in rural Wexford uh, on a farm in a little village called Adamstown, which was a crossroads. It kind yeah. of still is a crossroads, really. It's a little yeah. bit bigger around it now, but it's still a crossroads uh-huh. uh, somewhere between kind of Wexford and Enniscorthy. Um, in many ways, quite an idyllic childhood, but as is often the case in the in the in the background there, yes. there was a, quite a lot of darkness. So yeah. I was I was first sexually assaulted as a very young child. Um, by, How old would by you neighbors. say? I actually don't know yeah. what age I was yeah, on the first kind of block occasion. Out, like like somewhere north of five, but certainly oh, not Jesus. nine or ten. Yeah. And then again at the age of nine and nine or ten by a a, a neighbor, a teenage neighbor. Um, and then when I was 11, we, we left uh, Adamstown. My dad had a business in Wexford Town and he sold up the farm and we moved to Wexford Town, mm-hmm. which to me felt like this this new point of arrival, this yeah. new yeah. phase of life, you know. Um, new and hope. Yeah, such. well, just just I put that out of my head, yeah. put it behind me and kind of got yeah. on and started living. Um, but uh, as was the case for all of us who grew up in Ireland at the time, most of our most of your life and social life, not just your education, but your social life revolved around church. So like the youth group that I went of to course. was a church youth yeah. group. The Every dance or disco that was organised yeah. in the town was organised through the schools and by clergy, etc. So clergy and, and, and church were all around me. And it was at a, um, a, an event for the youth group that I was part of um, that uh, I was approached by um, um, a, a Catholic priest. Uh, nothing unusual about that used to yeah. talk to clergy all of the time. He came yeah. up and started chatting away to me 
um, asked me where I lived, what I was interested in, what, what kind of stuff was I at, why was I here with the youth group, and it was a very normal kind of conversation. But of course it makes you feel special, doesn't it, when you're singled out by these people? To be honest, I mean, it was such a normal thing to be yeah. there in the youth group and they were going around chatting to people. I was there, was nothing, yeah. there was nothing, yeah, nothing exceptional about it particularly. Really? Oh. But what happened was two weeks later he turned up at our house unannounced. Yeah, this is Father Sean. Yeah, yeah. Father, Father Sean, Sean Fortune. Fortune. Let's yeah. name and shame him. Yeah. yeah. And he, 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 because he was a priest, there was nothing remarkable. Well, he certainly wasn't turned away. He was invited in and the tea was yeah. made and he was given the, oh, they the were seat in the best living room and all the, the rest day? of it. Yeah, and he, he sat down and said he wanted to talk to me. So we ended up having this long conversation over about an hour and a half. And um, it, it, it ended with him asking me, would I come? He told me he had been recently appointed to a new parish and he was trying to get a youth group and a folk group, folk group set up. And I was also part of the, the He the said folk you'd group. be a real advantage And then to he said, that. would you come down and I help you with that? And I was thrilled because mm. I was like oh yeah 14 and really eager to get out into the world and start doing stuff and here was this you know priest this community yeah. leader saying I was valuable and I could help him do yeah. something and important. we are raised with praise aren't we yeah. like I mean we feel that and also you don't say no to priests mm-hmm. so I said well if, if my mum had let me go down yeah I can go down he said oh she'll let you go down alright yeah. and um, that's what happened two weeks later he came back to get me in and brought me uh, down to his parish and Long story short, the first weekend that I was down there, he sexually assaulted me. He then blackmailed me into returning regularly over a over a three. How did he do that? Talk about that a wee bit. Um, Well, we were so the 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 first time that it happened, I can remember running out of the room afterwards and and not being able to make sense of it. Mm -hmm. Just. Well, like, he pretended he had only one bed in his yeah, house. Yeah. And there was uh, And I'd have to sleep. I'd have to sleep. Is that okay? And all in the rest enormous, of it. And, um, yeah. subsequently and I, you discovered well, he had just, two beds. I just remember I remember thinking when he said that to me, well, thank God I got my mother to buy me pyjamas because yeah. I wouldn't have pyjamas otherwise because at that stage I didn't, I wore a t-shirt or something to bed yeah. or sure, wear pyjamas. Sure. And I just think, oh God, thank God I have pyjamas because you couldn't be like sleeping in a priest's room without yeah. pyjamas on you, you know. It all sounds so mad now, doesn't it? Mm. But it does now. It doesn't time, sound mad at no. all. Uh, because No, um, it does. Yeah, it, it does sound mad now. <laughs> because but my, it, was. it was. The world mad, was mad then. The, like, world the country was mad. was mad. My dad w- would tell me about him sleeping with the helpers in the farmhouse. Mm. They would hop into the boy the bed with the boys and he always said oh god we're lucky we weren't abused mm. my uncle who's a priest brought all the altar boys on holidays and he just happened to be a nice priest which I have a problem with nice and not so nice uh, but uh, um, yeah it was a normal thing which is abnormal yeah and I know what you mean it sounds so, no- mad now like it was it was hard to make sense of, of, of what had happened I couldn't I had no frame of reference for what had happened like yeah. this oh, terrible you? thing had happened what's going on I mean all I could do was fall back on the world as I understood it. And the world I understand it meant that, you know, provided you're good, nothing bad will happen to you. Mm. Um, that priests are good and can only be good. Well, they but own they're, good. But they're, they, they are good full stop. Yeah, they've copywritten yeah. But something terrible has just happened. <laughs> well, it's, it's gone so, with an extra so O, how, isn't it? But how can that have happened, right? So, so if he's absolutely good and all-powerful and all-knowing and completely good, yet this awful, even though I had no frame of reference to understand what had happened, yeah this awful, disgusting thing had happened, then it can't be him. It's it's got to be me. This yeah. has got to be my fault. It's I've got fault. to have done this. And that's so I how can it remember works. I can remember running running downstairs and, and then not knowing what to do and making a pot of tea. <laughs> because of course that's, that's what, what you, you do. do. In you the make country. a pot of tea. And going out to call him down because I knew I had to do something about what had happened. But I didn't know what to call him because how do I call him father after what's just happened? And my own father's name was Sean. 
So I didn't want to oh call God, him just Sean. What do I do? Even more. So I called him John. Okay. And he came down and he sat down at the kitchen table and I poured tea and I was I was shaking and I looked at him and I went, this can never, ever happen again. And he went, he looked at me and he went, you're right. You must never allow oh. something like this to happen again. Wow. So he just threw But like I was happy him. to seize upon that idea that this was my fault because at least that meant that I was in control. At least that meant that the world wasn't And you a had a lie. definition of it. At suddenly. least it meant that he was like priests were still good and the church was still good and everything all made sense. It's so so evil. that's an easy thing to accept, right? So then the next day he's driving me back home and we're in the car and he's he talked an awful lot. He he had a nickname uh, when he was a seminarian and beyond a flapper because he was this flapper very mouth. hyperactive individually and he just kept going all of the yeah. time. And I can remember being in the car and just thinking, God, just let me get out of this car. Just just shut up and let me out. Of th- I just want to get out of this car. I just want to get home. I just want to go into my room and be on my own. Just, just yeah. I just want to be left alone. Yeah. And as we were coming towards the house, you know, I was I was watching where we were on the road and I knew, okay, so we'll turn the corner, then we go down the hill. And as we go down the hill, I'll see the, the, the chimney of the house and then we'll come up and the house will be there and I'll be there. And he'd gone silent for the first time ever uh, on the journey for a couple of minutes before before that. And then as we came down the hill, he turned around to me and he went, you know, he said, I, I'm worried about you. Oh, God. He said, um, you have a problem. Yeah. And I'm a priest and it's my responsibility to do something about that. And he said, so we have two choices. Either I can talk to your father. At which point I literally wanted to open the door and jump out of the car. Panic, exactly. Because all I could think was, my, if my father hears what I've done, it'll kill oh him. God. It'll kill him. Yeah. Like, it'll, that's it. Life yeah. is over for him and for me. And this is, I can't, that can't. I, I just remember the like, sense of horror and panic and wanting to open the door and jump out of the car as it moved. Yeah. And then he said, or you can come back down again and I'll help you. It's just... And I mean, I knew what that meant. Yeah. Somewhere I knew help you oh, didn't sure. mean he's going to help me. I, I, it meant but own you. If it meant, if it meant that for the moment I could prevent this other alternative happening, which was yeah. him talking to my parents, then okay, fine. You're, you're so I went, okay, okay, I'll just don't, don't tell my parents, don't tell my dad. You're trapped. He's completely trapped you. And, and your dad and sounds like my dad. He's a country farmer, yeah. like a, a man of the land and a, a noble man. You know, I know I'm actually tearing up here because I know if if my father had to hear something like that, a Kerry man with a lovely soft accent, yeah. that it would have broken his heart as well. Well, you know from, from reading the book, Brian, that that dad did, did ultimately find out about it because yeah. a long time later, after I escaped and ran from Wexford and escaped, even didn't have any contact with my family because I just needed to sort myself out. Yeah. I was so ashamed yeah. and horrified. I remember the part of the book, Colin, where you said that he would show up, you know, every week to pick you up. Yeah. You were like, just didn't he want would, to. But he your would just parents come just didn't understand. They he, were like, come on, yeah. this is like the local priest. Yeah. We should be so proud of this moment. Yeah. And you couldn't say to them, but he's raping me. I don't want, that's why I don't well, want I to couldn't, go. I couldn't, I couldn't tell them what was happening. Of course not. You didn't have the language. Yeah. Ireland didn't have the language. Yeah. But but years later, well, when I was 18, I'd been, I'd left home I found the NGF. I found my feet. I was starting to understand a little bit more about who I was. Yeah. I was feeling safer again. Yeah. And I had had no contact with my family at all for about six or seven months. And my older sister, Barbara, who's one of my closest friends in the world, mm-hmm. came and found me. And she was in college out of Maynooth. And I went out to see her that night and stayed with her that night. And we had a big conversation. And I yeah. told her that I was gay. And then I told her that something had happened with Sean Fortune. 
And I remember the next day I leave in the house and thinking, oh my God, what am I after saying? And being terrified again. Terrible. So I ran again. Yeah. But she subsequently told my brother, I'm one of six, but told my brother who's the next to her and they both told my dad. Now, I didn't know this. Yeah. And I ran. Yeah. I was so terrified of the fact that I told them, told her or told anybody that I just ran and I didn't go back for another four years. So I was 21 and living in London before I went home. So you were completely estranged. You didn't yeah. see the family at Did all. Did they tell you yeah. how your father reacted? Uh, no. No, we never. We never spoke about it. And when I came back at 21, I can remember... Coming Do you back wonder to, yourself how he reacted? Well, I know how he reacted yeah, ultimately because we, we eventually we did. And actually for me, that's the, the, the book was really about dad and myself. Yeah. yeah. And, and for me, the, the book is actually about the power of, of love and of family. Yeah. And of, of, of just how resilient love is and yeah. family can be yes. and our humanity can be and how we can always move forward and how healing, no matter how difficult, how traumatic yeah. a situation has been or how deep a fracture has been, yeah. that if we provide the right environment for love to manifest, then healing doesn't just become possible, it becomes inevitable. Oh and for me, that's the story of, of, of oh, my life. Oh, don't you love that? I mean, it is I'm so a, beautiful. It becomes I'm a, inevitable. I'm, that's beautiful. Absolutely. If we preside... Now, that does not mean, and it's why I have a bit of a problem with the survivor label, for instance. Yeah. yeah. It does not mean that there's a burden on the person who's been, who's been victimised, yes. who's been harmed, who's yeah. been traumatised to heal. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. We, we place... A, there's Actually, an awful lot of pressure Actually, in a way, it's your power. It's a power... It's like, it's like look, we, life is... If you, if you see a mm. weed, you know, seeding out of a crack in a wall becoming a tree Mm. how does life find a way to get out and to find the light and to keep going no matter what and and that's the force that is life and that's the force that exists within all of us so life seeks to manifest in a in a in a healthy powerful you know fulfilling way it it seeks to be powerful to be healthy and it is more powerful than anything isn't it and if we if we provide exactly if we provide the right environment for for life to thrive at will and for love to thrive at will and And that's pure freedom and that's there's a there's a there's a freedom in that but there's huge potential in that but to be clear that does not mean that if somebody is not surviving or is not thriving that they're failing yeah. It does mean that maybe they're not being loved in the way that they need to be. And that's something we can all respond to. What do you think about the phrase that there's, I once heard somebody say that there's a violence sometimes in for, in having to forgive? Oh, listen, I've, I found that demand to forgive just horrific. Yeah. Yeah. Because for me, forgiveness, and again, that's something that I do actually talk about quite a lot in the book towards the end, about what forgiveness ultimately meant to me. The, the forgiveness for me was wrapped up in this very Catholic notion of, of saying it's okay or absolving the other person yeah. of their crime, yeah. right? Yeah. I can't do that. No. But when I say I can't do that, it's not within my gift. I'm not God. Yeah. Whatever that is or whatever that might mean. And I have no idea what that means. But like I can't, if forgiveness meant that I had to turn around to him and to show him fortune okay. and <laughs> say what you did was okay. I can't do that. It was never okay. Yeah. No. But if, so I, I got to a stage because I, I remember ultimately he ended his own life. He took his own life when it became clear that he would be convicted. And I remember being... What a coward. I re- well, mm. I remember being... What life? I actually don't think that was an act of cowardice. I think that yeah. was the ultimate act of absolute defiance. He was and n- never going yeah. to be held accountable. And if that meant destroying himself, that's what he would do. It was not yeah. powerlessness in my view. But look, yeah. I don't know what was in his mind. I suppose what I mean by that is the cowardice of not me, facing up to you. Though. For me, the well, yeah, I mean, I'd had my day where we finally did force the thing into court. But, but ultimately, when it became clear that he would be convicted, that's because the choice that he made. Because you sued the Vatican. But the yeah. point the point that I wanted to make quickly about the forgiveness piece was I remember when I got the call from a journalist to say that he'd been found dead, just fallen asunder completely. And it wasn't just I was devastated for me, I was devastated for the other men who were boys 
because he abused a whole range of people who yes. then came forward after I went to the police first in, in 1995. I remember being devastated for his family. I remember being devastated for my father. I remember, and then somewhere I was also devastated for the child that he was. Because I remember reading a passage in a book that the journalist Alison O'Connor wrote about him um, and about his crimes um, after he had killed himself. And she talked about how one night he lived, I actually live near Gorey now, which is the town that he grew up in, which yeah. is ironic. But I remember uh, in the book, she told the story about how one evening somebody found him as a child, as a boy, outside one of the shops on the main street in the dark and he seemed upset and they asked him what was wrong and he said well my mum sent me to buy a bag of sugar but the shop is closed and I don't want to go home without it he was frightened to go home without it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I remember that story just connecting me with, with the humanity of who this man was who this child a was a scared child and every time I came home from London as part of the legal case and would be driving through the main street of Gorey all I could think about was the boy the ghost of his boy the boy yeah. you know the person that this was and I, and I remember then realising that part of my grief at his suicide yeah. was the end of the possibility of any sort of healing or redemption for whoever he was. Yeah. And yeah. that got me realising that actually the, the thing that I wanted, it was not about retribution. It wasn't about vengeance. It was about accountability. Mm. But somewhere I also held out the hope that at some point I could sit down from across and say, what was all of that about? Yeah. Have you worked out what was going on? Are you going, like, are you okay whatever that means yeah. Yeah. have you How been you able to look at that and, and take responsibility for that and mm. and and do you know what it was about and I don't mean I was looking for answers for him to explain to me mm. but rather that for me the closure whatever it means is beyond the individual right yeah. so I knew more about his life and he had had an awful a fairly difficult life in, in early childhood now he he's responsible for the choices that he made none of this explains yeah, or excuses what he did yeah. so for me I recognise that that what I would have wanted for him was that he was held accountable. Like, ruthlessly held accountable. Ruthlessly, yeah. Made to completely confront and acknowledge what he did and held accountable before the law to go to prison for as long as a court decided he should go to prison and that he would have to confront and accept what he did. I can't imagine any greater punishment, by the way, than having to acknowledge and confront confront. that you perpetrated those kind of crimes on children. If he could do that, what else would I hope? I would hope that he would find a way to look inside and to understand his own humanity and where that came from. And maybe even he could forgive himself. Because it's not for me to forgive anybody for anything that they've done. But if they can find a way to own what they've done and, and understand themselves and forgive themselves, which for me means reconnect with their humanity, then that's something I would have wanted oh. for him or for anybody else. And that's part of what I grieved. Mm. So for me, I began to realise that actually, maybe that's forgiveness, whatever it means. It's like it's letting go. But the, the, total... the demand, but the demand on people who've been who've been victimised. I mean, this this bullshit notion mm. that you can't heal unless you forgive your abuser. Bullshit. Bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Rage. I mean, I fantasize. I mean, I, I still have two feelings about the man. Yeah. If he walked into the room now, there's a part of me that would quite cheerfully tear chunks of flesh from his bones absolutely. and throw them at the wall yeah. with absolute violence and delight as they slid down the wall. Yeah. And there's another part of me that would want to sit down with them and go, have you worked it out? Yeah. Like, what happened do to you, you own, as a child? Do you own it? Have yeah. you owned it? Yeah. Are you taking responsibility? What are you doing about that? Yeah. Right, so those are the, t- and, and those are the two pieces. And I think that's the, that's, we need to be able to own all of our responses and the critical piece then in that in, in terms of recovery again whatever that means is that we can't 
we, it, there can't be a demand made of us that we do X, Y and Z yeah. in order to get to a point of closure, yeah, whatever that right. means. That's right. I mean, I, I don't know what, I don't even understand what closure means. I, mean, I don't either. You like, just live, yeah. right? And you move through and you move beyond. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I think I understand a little bit about what closure is in terms of therapy, in terms of doing a lot of therapy. And you get to a place where you're peaceful about it. And for me, being yeah. able to walk away from therapy peacefully about my childhood in particular, that feels like closure. So I feel like I know what that is. But uh, do you think, I mean, going forward, um, what always troubled me, especially after I read the book, and there's all kinds of titles like Suing the Pope and all these amazing titles. How do they square it off with their relationship with faith, with God? And I think that the downside of anybody saying that there's a greater being than us is ultimately then you don't have to take responsibility for anything, regardless of your behaviour. Do you know what? Like, I gave up trying to work out or even think about how I feel about yeah. the notion of yeah. does God exist or does God not exist? Mm. She does I'm exist. I have all very, her albums. A very long We're talking about Joni Mitchell, right? I knew you were going to say Joni Mitchell, <laughs> by the yeah. way. I just knew that was coming. <laughs> but, but, like, I, because where I got to in the end was like, why does it matter in this life? Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and one of the terrible for me perversions of religion mm -hmm. is that it tells us that we have to behave in a certain way in this life so that we'd be rewarded in the next one. Yes. And if somebody treats me with love and respect and dignity, I want them to treat me with love and respect and dignity because they love and respect me. Yeah. Not because they're trying to score brownie points for the next exactly. life. And actually half the time we all remember you know, the, the people who would who would come in with their heads covered and go up to the front of the church every oh, Sunday yeah. and be, be holier than thou and who would then be vicious, vindictive <laughs> yeah. people outside Absolutely. of it. But because they they yeah. ticked the boxes, somehow that meant that... They're on the guest so list for, somehow so, to heaven. So, I know what so, you mean. Yeah, so for me, it's like, whatever comes after this one, sure, if we're meant to... If, if something does, I'll find out then. That's true. People should it? be entirely free... Yeah, to manifest and yeah. to live their own beliefs, provided they do so in a way that doesn't impact upon the rights of other people. I know, but it does a but lot no, of but the time. It, it yeah. doesn't have to. So I know, to. I know many people of deep faith who are yeah. incredibly loving and genuinely Christian people. Yeah. You know, uh, um, I remember during the marriage equality referendum back here in 2015, mm. hearing hearing a, a Catholic priest from the diocese of Ferns, the diocese that I sued, I yeah, talk on local radio and say. I'm voting yes in this referendum and it's not in defiance of my faith, it's because of my faith. It's because right. of... Okay. And we saw, we saw a significant number of people from within church, including clergy, yeah. feeling free. And for me, that was a huge testament of the Ireland that we'd managed to build at that stage. I loved what Veradiker said it was It was free for people to say, say, I, 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 I'm voting yes in this mm. referendum and it's not because this has nothing to do with religion. It's yeah. actually yeah. profoundly based on my beliefs and on my religious principles. And human because rights. Because I, I believe in equality. Yeah. I yeah. believe we should treat... For me, it was absolutely about human rights yeah. and equality. Yeah. But for others, I recognise that their framing of that or their, their, their framework for that is yeah. their religious faith and that's a good thing. Yeah. Veradiker said at the time, he goes, I don't want to change society. I want to reflect society. Reflect society. And I thought that was a very non-fat answer, fair play to mm. him. You know, so Colin, here's what I want to tell our listeners right now because I know you... Uh, side of everything you're now a happily married man you're also a dad to two gorgeous kids and you're an amazing cook as well as everything else <laughs> what a, I mean what a fingers fucking up to Ferns your <laughs> and the Bishop of Ferns well like, said Brian do you know it was a bit of a mad one that, that when, when, when I came back to Ireland to set up one in four here and it was a bit unexpected that we would do so we ended up because of Dublin house prices we sold our house in London and couldn't replace it so the circles got bigger and bigger and yeah. we ended up in North County Wexford yeah. in the Diocese of Ferns yeah. Imagine. and then our two kids were coming to live with us and we were thinking oh Jesus the only schools are the local diocesan schools Yeah but you see as if I was your therapist column I would be sitting there going you think that happened by accident? Well I don't think so Sometimes sometimes 
sometimes Brian, a cigar is just a cigar. <laughs> to <laughs> so, better smoke it. However, however it happened, it happened. But we ended up, we ended up, you know, living there with our two kids, who who are, are both from a mixed race background, thinking. And I'm in the middle of suing the Pope and suing the Diocese of Ferns, <laughs> you know, thinking yeah. I'm not confident about life. sending to a local Catholic school. Yeah. And again, actually, our local Catholic school is amazing. I've been in there many times since in my amnesty role. Yeah. So in the end, we ended up setting up an Educate Together school in, in the town and that's where they went. So oh. so that was fantastic. But yeah, I mean, the kids, we, we had a we had a they've had a great childhood in, in rural Ireland. You can West, tell anytime I've met them they're well, just the, a bundle in, of... in rural Ireland they've yeah. had a great childhood. Your they writing never... by the way is absolutely beautiful. Isn't it's, it beautiful? It's like I mean Patrick Kavanagh could have wrote it's Terry Flynn on the very oh, beginning of Oh here she is again book. mentioning Patrick Kavanagh <laughs> her grand uncle she but, always um, gets it in. Th- your writing is absolutely amazing Thank so you. I just must uh, compliment that I know the subject matter is dark but the way you write is just I will tell people again Beyond Belief is the name of the book ladies and gentlemen there's darkness in it but there's a lot of light a lot of light and I love your dad and I love all the descriptions of of, of uh, uh, your upbringing on the farm and all that. But look, at we in this podcast also yes. like to ask what, you know, the, the joyful things about being gay and what's your gay anthem? What's your song? I'm so looking forward to hearing the answer. <laughs> Jesus, do you know what? You actually hadn't asked me that in advance and now I'm having to think of what my gay anthem. Actually, do you know, I do know what it is. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's Small Town Boy. You're back in flickers. Bit. Oh, well, no, there you go. It's Bronski Bit, Small Town Boy, which came out around the time that I was leaving home with yeah. everything yeah. I owned in a suitcase. About 83 or 84, <laughs> was yeah, it? Yeah, Something it, was, like it, that? Was, it was early 84 um, that I packed a suitcase. And I remember the from, same. Uh, yeah, Jimmy West Somerville is the vocalist, yeah. of course. Did you hear, can I just ask you, did you hear Shobsey sing it recently on the Late no. Night Show? <gasps> but anybody listening, go, go to, oh, he's amazing. But like I that, that song, I mean, it, it says in everything. 1983, yeah. that song, that whole album, The Age of Consent, yeah. that entire album, Oh, it's wow. just phenomenal at a time yeah. when when singers yeah. and performers, artists could not be out. Oh no! And they were not unashamedly out. They were just out. They were just and, out. in a yeah. very matter of fact way. They were able to to take the freedom to be fully themselves and to get on with it. And they looked like skinheads. This yeah. is the other thing. They looked yeah. like Nazi skinheads. Yeah. But they weren't. They were these Jimmy Somerville, a wee Scottish fella, yeah. with the hi- and again the voice that came out of that wee bald that head. Voice, yeah. You just think, what? Where's that voice coming from? So like that for me was that that was a that's huge, a great huge great song. anthem. Yeah. I love it. I can hear it, and it's it's a classic. That entire it's, album, but that song yeah. in particular. That song, and um, your gay icon, your mine. But yeah, who do you have <laughs> when you who were growing your, up? Even like, yeah, the person you look up. When to. I was growing up, I didn't have gay icons because they didn't exist, right? There was the the gay people are yeah. our, our icons for gay people were not yeah. held up as a thing. Even Danny Larue, who was like in your face yeah. with a dress on, we'd never thought of no. him as sexual or no. gay or any of those things. No. He was a performer. No, I mean if I if I if I think about people now, I mean, what are the things from gay culture that have inspired me and helped me? Well, the Armstead Maupin books, the Tale yeah, of the City books, yes, right? yes, yes, this, yes. Anybody, any gay man of a particular age who who discovered oh, yeah. those books Absolutely. for the first time, suddenly there was a whole discovery of the notion of 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 well of a, an exploration and a description of what family means for gay and people and the first yeah. trans person ever I that think whole, well that whole house had every pronoun in it hadn't so and actually you know people like like uh, Dr Lydia Foy here in Ireland you know trailblazers yeah. like Lydia who, yeah. who who led just in just the most extraordinary ways the battle yeah. for legal gender recognition here in Ireland Lydia's an absolute icon Moninia Griffith yes. from uh, from Belong To who yes. for me it was, you know, if we if we we often talk in Ireland about 
marriage equality and what it achieved. Well, Meninia is one of the heroes of that because oh. she led as director of, of marriage equality. She led the work for that for 10 years. Mm. Um, and then, you know, others stepped forward and led the campaign. But Meninia drove that work for 10 years. She's now the director of Belong To. She's an oh. absolute legend. And, and my an friend icon. Tiffany is the secretary in That's Belong right. To. That's right. There you go. There <laughs> I you love go. Tiffany. But um, that... Um, I want to ask him, Catherine, oh, on, as we on. ask uh, two things. First of all, house is on fire. Apart from your children and your husband, what would you carry out the door that you couldn't live without? Oh, the dogs, my two, <gasps> my two greyhounds. Okay, that's a good answer. Oh, like I'd names? go back in, I'd go back in to get Oscar and Jake. Oscar would and you? Jake. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, that's hilarious. No, they no, abs, ab, no, like no. Nice oh. names for doggies. Yeah, well, Oscar, we got Oscar when he was a puppy, and he was long and gangly and elegant, and he reminded me of that statue of Oscar Wilde. So that was where <laughs> Oscar came from. And then Jake, Jake was was is a rescue from 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 uh, racing. And yeah. we got him when he was about a year and a half old, and he was called Jake, and it was just his name. So it's, it's a great name. Yeah, for a So we usually ask our guests for the best advice they've ever received. Oh, this uh, is going to be good. Given that you are passionate about food, what would your dream meal, starter, main course, and dessert be? But you know what? That would change every other day. Have you seen his Instagram account? Like because because I well, mean, okay, what you're I, on debt row, what right? I, what we I, hope oh. you're not. But come on, you there? We're pushing you against the wall now, and you have to tell us. Oh, Starter Jesus. for me would be a caprese salad. Oh, would it? Okay, yeah. Um, Mine would be a dal. I love Indian food. Yeah, you see, yeah. A dal. I don't really like her dosa. last dal. I did, I did, I did a <laughs> her dry performer. I did, I did a recipe for for uh, dulces recently. Which <gasps> I yeah. saw it. Masala dosas. Yeah, <gasps> masala dosa. Beautiful. And okay. then something like something like like I've got a great chicken vindaloo recipe. Which, by the way, if you keep for a couple of days and put into a dosa. Oh, oh my god! I'll kill you. And oh. then and then for dessert, well, you know, we'd have to go with the the the. Uh, I did a a cheesecake. I did a um, a a peach and passion fruit uh, pavlova a couple of weeks back, which was passion fruit curd. Yeah. And fresh peaches on a pavlova. That was just like. I mean, your kids must be just like we have the best life in the world. Yeah. If you were on death row, I think the prison officers would say, "No, he's not going anywhere. We're keeping him for another week." Exactly. I'll just keep cooking. Just, yeah, keep, just yeah. keep cooking. Well, I'm so delighted, uh, Colm, to sit with you and to hear about your new life. And that, and as you say, the triumph of love in the end that mm. happened to you. You found the man of your dreams. You have the kids of your dreams. You have the dogs of your dreams, even. So, Do you know what? I mean, life, life, life can be tough. Life can be challenging. I'm very, very lucky. I've lived a life that's full of love. Yeah. It's been full of challenge, too. Sure. And by the way, that continues. Like, Paul and I now are together. He... Because... Paul always does the thing when people start talking about, you know, idealising relationship in some form. You're going, you don't fucking live with them. Yeah. yeah. So, so we're together 23 years. My this God. Um, yeah, how'd that happen? How'd that happen? And yeah, and it's it's a blessing. Oh. You know, it's an absolute blessing. It's challenging. Yeah. Right. Loving somebody is challenging, it's isn't challenging. it? Because particularly as you move through life, because you have to learn how to live with yourself and then to live with another. And another now there's person. a brand new chapter, the brand new job that you're about to yeah, I'm, I'm after 14 years, I'm about six weeks shy of um, finishing up an amnesty, which feels a bit mad. That's and I'm, amazing. I'm going to work um, on something that I feel incredibly passionate about, which is around supporting communities yeah. to welcome and support the resettlement of refugees through a programme called wow. Community Sponsorship, which we've been working on here in Ireland for about the last five years. But I'm going to be working with a, a, a small and fabulous um, organisation that works at the global level to promote that with governments wow. and with UN agencies and with, with charities and civil society bodies across wow, the, the world. So we'll be active in about nine or ten different on. countries to try wow. and, and support that work at the local level. Which is well, 
Colm, we have to wrap up now and um, thank you for that. We talk about where we find our spirituality, our, our God, and I found it today in your sharing of your experiences. Thank you very much because that really touched me today. So we're done travelling around the world for another week, <laughs> Mr. Kennedy. Are we? Oh, God. <laughs> um, like I say, it's been an incredible journey. Thank you for being one of our most incredible guests. Fair play to you. So, uh, look, if you enjoyed our chat, please, 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 with a cherry on top, give us five stars wherever you listen. It really helps more eyes and ears find the podcast. Now this week on our LGBTQ plus quote this week (laughs) comes from writer, cook and broadcaster Nigel Slater who once said It's impossible not to love someone who makes toast for you. Oh, I love toast. Oh, <laughs> Forget right. the he's toast. Right, Just give me the dough. <laughs> Am I right, girls? <laughs> okay, on that note, see you all next week for another trip around the world in, in 80 Gays.